Please join me in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to begin this sermon with a simple chant. I will say, Christ is King. And you respond, He reigns forever. Three times. So let's stand up. Christ is King. He reigns forever. Christ is King. He reigns forever. Christ is King. He reigns forever. Amen. Please be seated. Got to get that blood flowing on this cold November morning. Sometimes uh, this last Sunday of the church year is called Christ the King Sunday. Um, At least since the 1920s it's been labeled that. Um, Historically, it's got an interesting history I won't get into, but um, Christ the King Sunday comes out of a time of fascism in the world, and the church thought that it was important to emphasize, once again, because of course Ascension Day is the first Christ the King Sunday of the year, but the church thought it was important to remind people that Christ is King and not the state. And the state and the empire, empires come and go, but his kingdom is forever. It's a good theme in all times to remember that Christ is King And this year, Christ the King Sunday happens before our American Thanksgiving holiday. It precedes it. And I think that's a good thing. That doesn't always happen with the church calendar. Sometimes it's after Thanksgiving. But what better way to give thanks than to be reminded that the King whom we give thanks to is on His throne. The King who we give thanks to is on His throne. Recall last week we heard from Scripture about a thankful heart and gratitude. Those of you that were here, those of you that weren't, you know that we talked about how a thankful heart helps us to keep to St. Paul's command of do not grow weary in doing good. That do not grow weary in doing good is not something you can muster up of your own strength but it's something that the Holy Spirit is able to give you when our hearts are disposed to thankfulness and gratitude. That's kind of the generator behind doing good and not growing weary. This week, we continue in a way about on that same theme. As I looked at the passages today, it struck me, and perhaps it struck you too, that there's three different main objects that God is compared to. Number one, He's a rock. Christ the King is a rock. We see that in the psalm. Number two, that Christ the King is a shepherd. And if you remember earlier in the year, we talked about the importance of shepherds and how they're basically the cowboys of the Old Testament in the Jewish lore. And number three, 
the king is a redeemer. The king is a redeemer. That means he's one who pays the price. He's one that takes something back by giving something of himself. He redeems us. So let's look first at the, the, the first image. Christ the king, the rock. It's easy for we humans to forget that God is supreme. I think that's why we need Christ the King Sunday. In an ever-moving world full of events, Christians often lose perspective. Do you find that? Or does that just happen to me? That we often lose perspective. We get lost in the weeds, lost in the details of life. And don't get me wrong, details are important, right? We're not some people that says, oh, just let this world pass away and it doesn't matter because we're going to be in heaven someday. That's not really Christianity. But details can end up dictating our lives if we're not careful. How many of you make lists? Ah, A lot of list makers in here. Interesting. How many of you like accomplishing lists, filling in those check marks or coloring in bubbles. Is my wife here? She loves doing that. It drives me nuts. I don't know why. It drives me nuts. But she loves that feeling of accomplishment. Me, I look at a list and I'm like, I'm not doing that. How many of us keep calendars and agendas And yet all these things, while helpful to bringing order to our lives, and even I will admit, they are, and being good stewards of what God has given us, because human beings need their orders and patterns, one of the strangest things that I've began reflecting on is how the details can end up being tyrannical. I know, maybe you've never thought of that before. But back in college, I started to think about this, and the older I get, the more I think about it. The little choices we make actually shape our lives and keep us from other choices later in life or free us for other choices in life, right? Those of us that are a little bit older can look at our college friends or high school friends and see this, right? Those little choices along, those details, have shaped who they become, who They are, for good or for ill, right? And if we're not careful, rather than empowering us to use the time, the talent, and the treasure that God's given us for the glory of His kingdom, we can get trapped in the details of life. And they start running us. They start running us. Instead of us submitting to God and running them. It's fascinating just how malleable human beings actually are and just how resilient human beings are. Both being perfectionistic with our efficiency and chaotic in our inefficiency, we can enslave ourselves. And that's true of all people, not just Christians. To be harried and tossed around, to be anxious in life, to be an exhausted Christian who is predisposed to perfectionism or predisposed to chaos is to not be in God's will if acted upon and entrapped in it. And Psalm 46 points this out using the image of water 
and a rock. Look at verse 10 of the psalm. It's in your insert. It's also in your order of service. We sang it. Be still then and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The interesting thing is that both Christian and non-Christian alike can crash against the rock of God. That's one option. By letting your harried life, your anxieties, your details, your perfectionism or your chaos drive you, you can smash into God like a rock. But that's not what God would have. Look at the rest of the psalm. The psalm talks about that rock being a refuge. Did you catch that? Three times in Psalm 46, in our selection at least, the phrase is repeated, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And so, rather than smashing into the rock, God would have us hold on to him instead. Instead. The psalmist urges us to do that. How many times do the waves of fear and the uproar of the nations, rumors of wars and actual wars, come up against God's sovereignty? Well, it's all of human history. But in our psalm today, verses 1 and 7 and 11 remind us that though those things happen, God is our refuge. And that's true on the large scale of world events and also true on the small scale of your life, dear friends. You see, the challenge to the Christian and the non-Christian is the same. Whether you're successful and organized or disorganized and kind of a failure, the question is, what's controlling your life? And are you seeing God as a refuge or are you seeing him as an obstacle? And the same could be true about the church. Are you seeing it as a place of refuge or are you seeing it as just another obstacle in your life? Just another thing to crash upon, like everything else in your calendar. Are you metaphorically stuck in a pattern or a wave, crashing upon God's sovereignty? The major difference between the non-Christian and the Christian is that the Christian knows that God is his or her refuge and already has an inheritance. The Christian ought to know better. The non-Christian has to cling to the rock for the first time after almost sinking usually. But the Christian should be clinging to the rock before, long before he gets to being smashed up and almost sinking. So we come to the second image. Christ the King, the Shepherd. We can be thankful that God is a King Shepherd, dear friends. You know what an inheritance is, right? Some of you probably have inherited things. Let me ask you, does your inheritance come from anything that you've earned? No. It comes from your relationship with somebody. 
It's something bestowed upon you. Something given. You see, the power of inheritance, of our inheritance as Christians, is that God has acted on our behalf. And look at that second image that Jeremiah uses in our first reading. The prophet uses this image of a shepherd. God seeks out his people in the Old Testament. Even when they foolishly followed other shepherds, even when they've deserted him and been scattered and neglected and driven away by false shepherds, God is still seeking them and merciful to them. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 2 through 4. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. First of all, the point here is that false shepherds will be judged harshly. Poor shepherds will get their recompense. The Lord will deal with them, he says. Verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back into their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be missing, any be missing, declares the Lord. You see, the Lord promises to attend, to gather, and to bring them, to care for them, and to set his shepherds to care for them. We don't serve a passive God as Christians. I think sometimes we fall into that trap, that we see God only as, as the rock, right? And not the refuge, and certainly not the shepherd. Like, like we've got to do it all on our own. Like we've got to make, make ourselves by ourselves, into the image of Jesus. And that's just not true. That's just not true. If the shepherd doesn't seek us, we don't have any hope of living into what he calls us to be. God's not passive. He's active in your life. He is shepherding you right now, dear friends. God has dedicated himself this much we see in the Old Testament to his people. And we know from John 10 that Jesus uses this image and calls himself the good shepherd. That he never stops seeking, attending, or gathering, or restoring his people. But to go back to the Psalm 46 metaphor, while the reality of God is a rock, he does not enjoy people being broken upon him. Although sometimes that breaking is necessary to bring about repentance. And that crashing is necessary to bring about submission to him as king. And then finally we get to the final image, the king redeemer. Jesus is the king redeemer. And we can be thankful finally that God is the king redeemer. The God, the king of the universe humbled himself to wear the crown of thorns. Did you think as we read the gospel passage today, listen to Father Joshua read it, Boy, this is kind of an odd gospel passage for Christ the King, right? It's a passage about Jesus dying on the cross between the two thieves, one that you're familiar with, I'm sure. But marvel for a moment at this as his kingship, that he humbled himself taking on death on a cross for you and for me. Why do we use this gospel passage this year? Why is that in the lectionary? 
Well, because that action of God is the action of redemption. That action of God coupled with the incarnation and the ascension, right? Incarnation, resurrection, and ascension is the story of our redemption. It's the thing for which we as Christians should be the most thankful for. When we read the daily office, morning and evening prayer in our prayers, twice a day we say these words if we're doing that. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and the hope of glory. The King does not just provide the rock of truth and reality, which is important. He seeks the scattered, and then when he finds them, he offers redemption of himself. And so the Gospel reading makes this point with great clarity. That while we hear the story of the crucifixion of Christ here on Christ the King Sunday, we remember that this is the act that restores us. Restores us in relationship to the God who is the rock, the refuge, the shepherd, and the redeemer. But note one more thing. The voice of the penitent criminal in verse 40 of the Gospel. I invite you to look at it with me. If you have your Bibles, this is coming from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 40. Otherwise, you can look at the Scripture sheet. It's on the back of the sheet, 40 through 42. But the other criminal, that is, rebuked him, saying... Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you know, part of the reason we read this gospel today is that that, Those words of a criminal are the words that we should cling to and embrace. Reminding us that we deserve all of the punishment for our deeds. But that Christ has done nothing wrong and is crucified for us. Those, if you keep that those words at the center of your life, you will be a thankful Christian. Because you can't help but to be a thankful Christian. I was lost, but now am found. I was sentenced to death, but have been given life. Don't forget the simple messages of the faith, friends. To live out the Christian faith as a witness for the gospel is to have ever before you the intervention of God in your circumstance personally, the intervention of Jesus as your rock, as your shepherd, as your redeemer, and to perceive yourself that way as someone who's been saved out of his tremendous love for you. As bad as you perceive yourself to be, you're worse 
As bad as you perceive yourself to be, you're worse. But, as much as you perceive God's love to be, it is more. As much as you perceive God's love to be for you, it is more. And so, as St. Paul says in his epistle to the Colossians that we read today, verses 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. God loves you so much that he gives you redemption and forgiveness of sins. And the same part of that is true in the earlier part of this passage, verses 11 and 12, where Paul writes, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's your story too, friends. That's your story too. Dear fellow Christian, God's word says that you have been redeemed and not just that, you've been strengthened with the power according, according to the Christ, the King's glorious might. That King of the universe, the Creator, the one whose preeminence, we're told by St. Paul in the epistle today, has died for you and risen for you. That you might live out your days here on this earth with endurance with patience and with joy. And so if we lack endurance and patience and joy in our lives, why do we lack it? I've asked myself that before. Have you? Why do we lack it? Why, why am I feeling so down if this truly is my inheritance? Why am I feeling so weary? Well, is the harsh rock of reality that harsh rock of reality, rather, is that oftentimes that weariness is self-imposed. It's not that God has withdrawn from you. It's not that God has ceased to love you anymore. It's not that God is not bestowing his blessings upon you, but somehow you've withdrawn yourself into a weariness. You've become entrapped, I would, I would propose, in the details and the agendas and the calendars of your life. You've become entrapped in the lists and the accomplishments and the self-perceptions that you've placed upon yourself. And therefore, you're crashing into that rock instead of resting in Him as your refuge and resting in His people as a refreshment. So don't do it. Stop. Stop. Don't impose upon yourself just an understanding of God as a rock, but rather understand Him as a refuge. Don't impose upon yourself a lack of trust, but rather understand Him and trust in Him as your shepherd. Don't impose upon yourself a lack of Response, which brings weariness and exhaustion. Rather, respond to God as if it was the first time you were meeting 
your Redeemer. These aren't just states of mind, notice. These are actions of the heart. These are dispositions of the soul. In It is our self-lacking that causes us to not be able to have the right disposition of the soul. But it's, it's counterintuitive in that it's self-giving to God that actually helps us. It's in being thankful and doing acts of thankfulness and praise that we come to understand Lord, our Lord, that we come to trust Him, that we come to respond to Him. It's in doing these things in community that God enlivens us to give Him of our all because He's given Himself to us. And just as we sang in that Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. So fret. Excuse me, friends, don't neglect the details, don't neglect your calendars, don't neglect your agendas, but ask yourself, is Christ king over my life? Is he king not just in theory, is he king in the details? Is he king in the way that I set my priorities? Are his people important to me because he's king? Not because they ought to be, although they should. They ought to be, that's true but because I love him and I love them because he loves them. Don't neglect the present, dear friends, but let Christ rule your agendas and your lists and your calendars and take refuge in God week by week and day by day and take time to be still and know that he is God. Everything else flows forth from that. The Lord is King. His kingdom is forever. He is your refuge, your shepherd, and your redeemer. Won't you take that to heart and not just to mind? Let it shape your life. Let it shape who you are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.